Thank you, Lord, for your provision for all of us in these difficult days. And thank you, Father, for the promise of eternal life, for the joy that we share in coming together, Lord, and anticipating, God, what you will do in all of our lives, in the life of this congregation, in the life of this city. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart for this diverse city, that you would help us to be at our very best when we are in the very worst of times. Lord, I'm grateful for the joy of gathering together with your people this morning. Bless us as we worship. We ask in the strong and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to see you. It's always good to see you, but especially, I think, this weekend, after all that we all have been through, and uh, I woke up at church again this morning. Uh, I hate to admit that. I've been trying all these years to keep people from sleeping in church, but um, the last, this fifth morning in a row, I've awakened at church uh, to answer the question that everybody's asking. No, we do not have electricity, but uh, we do have power. We have uh, Holy Spirit power. We've been spending our days at the house um, but coming up here at night, we have uh, air mattresses and uh, we stay in my office. So I wake up at church every day. And, uh, and uh, so this morning, you know, you think, well, you're really close to church, but I needed to get my car up to the uh, Tallowood Center where I park it on Sundays. So I got up there and I got in the B bus. You know which one the B bus is? It had the, they had the, the Blaylocks in it and it had uh, uh, a number of B families uh, um, that were in that. And the Brooks family got in there as well. And so we're grateful to be here with you today. I wonder, where did you weather the storm? Where did you find yourself during the storm? I've heard of some interesting places. My friend Kerry Tillman, who preached for us on a Sunday night recently, is a pastor in Galveston. He's been a pastor there for the last uh, 26 years. He started when he was 20 years old. And he decided that because some of his members were not able to get off the island and uh, were not safe in their homes, that he would stay that night at the church with his people. And so they took all the food out of the refrigerators and they had a big fellowship and cooked in the kitchen until they lost power about dusk. And then he said one of his men came and said, Pastor, for the first time I can ever remember, the, the water has risen to the first step outside the church, then to the second and the third, and it made its way up. It never made it over the threshold, but the water from the bay came from the backside. And he said, I was standing there in the sanctuary watching the water rise just beneath the pulpit to the level of five feet. He said, I went to my house. It had three or four inches of water in it. He came Wednesday night. He said, are you having church? I need church. I said, we're having church. And so he came. He said, I'm homeless. I'm jobless. I'm an evacuee and a refugee. But I need church. And he prayed. And those of you who are here with us, just a handful of us, he prayed heaven down for all of us as uh, he sought the Lord and we prayed together. Where did you spend the storm? Did you hunker down or did you leave town? Uh, perhaps the worst place that I've heard of to be were those those 22 sailors who were on the freighter. Remember about did you hear about them? A hundred miles off the coast out there. They lost uh, power. Uh, actually lost their fuel injectors so they couldn't use their ship. And so the Coast Guard was trying to get them out with helicopters, but the winds were too strong. And they finally said to them, you're going to have to stay on the ship. And they did regain electricity. 
And so they were able to talk to the owner of the ship who was in Cyprus uh, off the coast of Greece there. And he said he called them every hour. I wonder what those conversations were like. You still there? Yes, we're still here. You still in Greece? How's the weather on the Mediterranean these days? We're here off the coast of Galveston with 50-foot waves. And uh, there they spent the night. And I couldn't wait to wake up that next morning and turn on the television and hear that they were okay. That they had survived. A tugboat had been dispatched to bring them into shore. And I wondered, what must it be like to take a boat ride in a hurricane? And then I read Acts chapter 27 and saw that the Apostle Paul did exactly the same thing against his will, by the way, in verses nine and 10 of Acts chapter 27, he warned the sailors, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't get in the boat. We shouldn't leave this harbor in Crete to make it to a different harbor, just 40 miles down the coast. But they did. And the story of their adventure, yes, the minnow would be lost. (laughs) The story of their great adventure is found in Acts 27, verse 13. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Acts chapter 27, hear the word of the Lord, verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. And as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my... I told you so. (laughs) You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as He told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. You may be seated. Paul told them not to go. Verse 9, he warned them. Verse 10, he told them, if you go, the very cargo that you are trying to deliver is going to be lost. And beyond that, you're going to risk our lives as well. But the sailors would not listen to him. The soldiers took the prisoners. Paul was one of the prisoners. They were supposed to be headed to Rome. There was a cargo ship. It had left an area where there was wonderful grain. So they had lots of food on board. 
And they headed out and they were just trying to make it 40 miles down the coast to Phoenix. There was a better harbor there. It had a southwest and northwest entrance uh, to the Mediterranean. So they were just trying to get a little further down the road. You know how it is. Just that next town. If we can just make it to that next town. And they had this little gentle zephyr of a breeze blow in. A south wind. A favorable wind. So they said, this is the time. And they all got on the boat. And it wasn't long before the, the word is a combination of a Latin and Greek word, uraquilo, a norther and an easter came together, northeast wind came down off that 8,000 foot tall mountain range on Crete and blew them not further down toward Phoenix, but further out into the sea. And the further they went, they were able to pull the lifeboat aboard when they were in the lee of a small island called Cotta, but it kept bouncing them along. And what they were afraid of was the sands of Sirtis. They're as bad as they sound off the coast of Libya, the Bermuda Triangle of those days where so many ships were lost and they were afraid that they would go all the way down there. And so they put down their anchor and they're bouncing along. And verse 20 says, Luke is on the boat as well, because you see he says we now it was they who decided to go out in the boat but we were tossed he says and we lost all hope of being saved after so many days without seeing the sun or the stars and the storm was relentless it was a big storm and it just kept blowing them further and further and they had no way to escape and then Paul stood up and said, I told you so. I told you we shouldn't have gone. But the good news is the God whose I am, the God whom I serve, this God sent an angel who stood beside me in the storm and spoke to me and said, Paul, good news. After this storm is over, you're going to be on trial in a court before Caesar And you're going to have your chance to speak a story that is bigger than the storm. And not only am I going to save your life, but everybody who stays on the boat. And by the way, the boat's going to be lost. But if they'll stay on the boat, I'm going to save all of their lives. I have graciously given you all of their lives as well. In other words, the salvation of Paul would result in the salvation of all. We are keenly aware, aren't we, in these days of everything that Ike has taken from us. What has Ike taken from you? Trees, limbs, your home, our worship center. Um, Has Ike taken power away from you? What, What have you lost in this time? I don't want to think about that today. We've been thinking about that too much this week. So it's good for us to pause for a moment and to see what God has given us through this storm, like Paul, to be able to say, God has been by my side through it all, and this is the God whose I am, the God whom I serve, the God who sends an angel to protect me and speak to me, the God who sends me so that not only will I be saved, Paul says, but also God has given me the lives of all who sail with me. Have you noticed who's in the boat with you? Whose lives has God given to us, Tallowood, because of this storm? I wonder if you and I could focus for a moment and not think about um, who we are, but about whose we are. Not about our entitlement, not about why the storm or why no power, 
But why has God let us live? Why has He spared us? Why, like Paul, are we allowed to live in the midst of the storm except that He has given us the lives of others who will also come to believe the story that is bigger than the storm that God sent His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has given us a story that is bigger than the storm. And for a moment, I don't want to think about who we are, but about whose we are. I don't want to think about what belongs to us, but about the one to whom we belong. I don't want to talk about us. I want to talk about Him like Paul did and say the God whose we are. Paul had to be specific, didn't he, when he began to give them this message because everybody on the boat was praying to some God. Just like in Jonah's story, everybody prayed to their God. I'm sure somebody on that boat, there were 276 people there on the boat, 275 with Paul. And many of them might have been praying to Poseidon, the God of the sea. That would have made sense, I suppose, to a pagan mind. Pray to the one who controls the water. But it wasn't working. And they they might have prayed to Zeus or to Apollo or to Mars. They might have prayed to any of the, the pantheon of Greek gods. So Paul says, I just want you to know that the God who's actually going to come through is the God who actually is. The God whose I am. The Creator God, as we have sung this morning, our Creator is our sustainer. The God about whom Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all of us who dwell therein. We belong to God. And Paul was keenly aware, not of what belonged to him, but of the fact that he belonged to to God. We can get caught up in these times about the things that we lose, about the things that are important to us. What did you, if you evacuated, what did you take with you? We loaded up lots of pictures from our family. These were irreplaceable kinds of things. We value certain things. These things are things that belong to us. And I'm sure those sailors who said we need to go out and, and take this trip were also thinking, weren't they, about the cargo that was theirs. But verse 18 says, when the storm got bad enough, they threw the cargo overboard. They threw the ship's tackle overboard. Verse 19 says, not like, um, if you're thinking like a fisherman, like, you know, tackle. Not like lures, like a, a chartreuse grub or something. No, no. They were throwing overboard the sails. <laughs> The equipment, the mechanical equipment that made the boat go. They were no longer worried about being in charge because they knew they were not in charge. The storm was in charge, they thought, and so they don't care about their tackle. Eventually they throw their food overboard and they lose the ship itself. But God gives them their lives. And the Scripture says, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And we are alive today. We are here. It was a category two. If that's a category two, I don't want to see a category bigger than a category two. Imagine a category five. Imagine the devastation. Imagine the lives that might have been lost. Imagine the lives that have been lost. And I just came this morning to say, we were spared for a reason. If we can understand it, the God whose we are, we belong to God. There was a national survey of religion that came out this week. Baylor released another installment of that. It's a sociological study of religion in America. And they found out lots of people believe in God. And so they asked them, which God exactly do you believe in? Well, some of them said, I believe in the God who doesn't judge me. 
I believe in the God who doesn't judge sin. I believe, I believe in the God who lets me do it. I believe in the God who's going to help me win the lottery someday. You know, it's sort of like Build-A-Bear theology, you know? Get a God. Any God you want. Just, you know, shape your own God. What if the only God there is, is who He is, and He doesn't belong to us, but we belong to Him? And what if this is the God who answers prayer? How then shall we live? I have a friend who's very prominent in his business. His boss loves him because at the end of every quarter when numbers are getting tight, he says, I need you to pray. I know you pray to Jesus, David. So you need to pray. Pray in the name of Jesus. He said now, his boss says, now my wife is praying to Buddha. And uh, one of our other employees is praying to Allah. And uh, somebody else is praying to the pantheon of Hindu gods. And we've got all our bases covered. Can I just say, there's only one base. You only need to cover one. His name is the Lord. He sent His only Son named Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that, so he was specific. The God whose I am. Just to be more specific, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, God has made us a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people who belong to Him. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, He purified a people for Himself so that we might be His very own. Wayne Watson used to sing, We belong to Him. We belong to Him. Crucified right by His side. Bought with a price through one sacrifice. We belong to Him. If you're going to help people in the name of God, help them in the name of the God who actually is. This is not, as the survey said, any religion will get you there. There's only one God. And Paul says, he told me that we are going to live for a reason. The God whose I am, he says, the God whom I serve. Paul had a clear understanding of who God was and who he was. So you notice in his letters, just read the beginning of his letters. And often he will say, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul knew what his role in life was. He wasn't in charge of the world, but he was a servant of the God who was. And so he, he came to serve. We came to serve. That's why we're here. The scripture says we're to serve. Jesus said in John chapter 13, after he washed his disciples' feet, he said, now I've shown you what to do. And you'll recognize the servants of God at your office, in your church, in your neighborhood. You'll recognize them because they're the ones who are serving other people. God has called us to serve. And the way we serve God in times like this is by serving other people. Just Pick up a towel and a basin and wash somebody's feet. I've noticed it in the neighborhood. Neighbors who didn't even know each other are getting to know each other. They're helping each other out. Because in these times, as my wife said, storms like Hurricane Ike are great equalizers. It no longer matters what you have, does it? <laughs> you can't buy power until the power is available. I mean, you just, you're just where you are. doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You just are. And you come to serve other people. That's... Why we're here and God has given us this privilege of being servants of all and we will set ourselves apart. What if this is Tallawood's greatest moment that this chance to serve our diverse city, to serve our community? You say, how's Tallawood going to do that? I don't know. Tallawood, how are you going to do that? Consider yourself commissioned. Your baptism is your ordination. Get busy. Serve somebody. <laughs> Last Sunday after after church, we had church at the Tallywood Center. That was before the 18-wheeler ran over the, the light pole so that we didn't have power at Tallywood Center on Thursday. Back on Sunday, we had power. We have power again now, thankfully. But 
Um, we, uh, we worshiped up there and afterward I called my brother. Now my brother had a plan for the storm. Did you have a plan for the storm? My little brother lives here in Houston, down inside the loop, down by Rice. And, uh, he said, here's my plan. We're not evacuating, but as soon as we lose power, we're going to evacuate. It was a great plan until his neighbor's tree fell across his driveway, blocking his cars in his garage. I said, how's your plan working? Well, not so good right now. I called him Sunday. I said, are you all okay? He said, we haven't had a warm meal. They've got three boys, six, four, and two. Can you imagine? No power, six, four, and two. And uh, I said, what can I do for you? He said, do you have a chainsaw? Do I have a chainsaw? (laughs) Every selfers, no, I don't have a chainsaw. But I have a friend who has a chainsaw who graciously provided it. I went and picked up the chainsaw out in Katy, picked up some, some hamburgers. I was the uncle of the year to my nephews, you know, <laughs> took them there, get the chainsaw, get out. You know, were you picturing like a little log across the driveway? No, no. 50 foot tall oak tree lands the length of the driveway. The branches that are it's lying on its side on his fence. The branches are reaching up to his third story windows, broke those third story windows out, reaching over. It was a big tree. I got out of the car with my little chainsaw and looked up at the tree. My brother walked out smiling and I said, you need professional help. (laughs) You need somebody who does this. I'm not a tree person, but, you know, his neighbor said, oh, I know how to use one of those. So his neighbor, you know, I don't even know. What's that sound? You know, and he, he gets started buries it in a limb. We can't get it out. We spent an hour and a half with with a screwdriver and a hammer trying to chisel the chainsaw out. But when we got it out, oh, I was set free. I had never had such power before. You know, we started cutting up limbs, you know. We cut a canopy out underneath the tree. Left the ones at the third story window, but cut a canopy out so they could drive their cars in and out. Oh, it was a great moment. I'm just telling you, If you're looking for a chance to serve, this is your chance. Just look around. We were working in our own yard. Some friends came over to help us. And there was this great big golden retriever walking by. And he was kind of wobbling. He had gotten out of his fence. He hadn't had anything to eat or anything to drink. And Melanie said, he needs something to drink. I ran inside and got a little plastic cup and came out. And I'm, I'm, I'm down on the ground. And this little golden retriever is, you know, lapping water out of the cup. And I was just thinking, if you and I are looking... There are chances to serve. We just need to look. One one of our guys told me that his son uh, got in his car and just started following. Have you done this? The center point trucks? He just started following one of them, you know? And when the guy got out of the truck, he got out and just started helping him. He started, he had his chainsaw, started cutting down limbs and everything. And he helped him all day long. At the end of the day, the guy said, now, where do you live? He said, oh, I live back there. He said, well, let me come hook up your power since you helped me. See, fringe benefits in serving. You never know, you know? Just get out there and serve. Something good might happen. You know, there's a strategy for you. Well, I'm just saying God put us here to serve. And as we serve our community, we're going to have the chance to tell them that the God whose we are, the God whom we serve, is the God who has a purpose for our lives. There's a reason why we're here. And Paul begins to discover that God says, God speaks to him through an angel. By the way, in the survey of religion, it said 55% of Americans believe they have their own um, guardian angel and they know them by name. Well, I think that's stretching it a little bit, actually, but it's not exactly biblical. But God did send an angel, didn't he, to protect Paul in the middle of the storm and to speak to him and to tell Paul... By the way, Paul, good news. You're going to survive the storm because you've got to be on trial. You've got to go to court and you've got to stand before Caesar and tell the one who thinks he rules the world that you know the one who actually rules the world. And just uh, because you're in the boat in the storm, 
I'm going to give you the lives of all the other ones who are with you. They say that the owner of the of the Cypriot ship called them every hour to make sure the people on the boat were okay. And I just love the fact that the owner of our ship calls and speaks to us in the midst of the storm and stands with us. You don't need a guardian angel. You've got God with you, standing with you in the midst of the storm, saying, I have a purpose for your life. There's a story that's bigger than the storm and you need to tell that story. And by the way, I'll give you the lives of all those who are with you. I'll give you the lives. Whose lives has God given to us? Who will come to believe in Christ because you and I serve this city in this time? Who will God bring our way so that we can share the good news that is really good news in the midst of all the bad news that we've heard? Paul says, and I, verse 25, read it. I have faith in God. I trust Him. Alan's right. I mean, if you're trusting in anybody else, you may be in trouble. I'm not sure the Dow Jones is going to help you these days. Where are you going to put your trust? Trust in the rock of ages who stands the test of time. Trust in the God who is with us in the storm, the one who's the master of the winds and the waves, who says to us, oh, you of little faith, don't you understand? And he speaks to the winds and the waves and they cease. And he sent us, didn't he send us beautiful weather for our week without electricity? God provides, He cares for us, He meets our needs, and He has given us a purpose. I'm just going to say, if you're going to spend the rest of your life dedicated to something, you might as well put your trust in the God who actually is, the God whose you are, whether or not you know it, the God whom you can serve, the God who speaks to you in the storm, the God whom you can trust in this time. Let His life give you life. Listen for His voice in these days. I believe with all my heart He's speaking to us if we have ears to hear. I love the story of Leonardo Diaz who was a, a Colombian who was climbing uh, some mountains in the Andes with his friends. He got lost in the, in the middle of a blizzard and, uh, and he had his cell phone but um, he had run out of prepaid minutes. This was back in 2002 and so no friends, no communication. He realized he was going to hypothermia. He was going to die. And then, would you believe it, his phone rang. You know who it was? A telemarketer. <laughs> Said, we noticed that you've run out of minutes. Would you like to buy some more? Would I like to buy some more? Let me tell you where I am. And the people on the other end of the phone called him every 30 minutes to make sure he was okay until the rescuers arrived seven hours later. And I was thinking when I read that story, sometimes when God calls us in the everyday events of lives, when God is speaking to us, it's rather like that telemarketer. We say, I'm not going to answer that right now. I don't have time for God right now. But when we're in the midst of a storm, doesn't he have our undivided attention? We're all ears when the winds and the waves are coming. And the good news is, even though we are fickle with our faith, God still speaks to us. And we can trust Him. I love David Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, definition of faith. He said, faith is refusal to panic. Everybody else was panicking. Verse 20 says, everybody had lost hope they were going to be saved, but not Paul. Because he knew his God. And he knew his God was going to come through. And you and I can know that too. Edgar Guest said... When sorrow comes as come it must, in God a man must put his trust. And only he, who will, only he will stand serene who has a faith on which to lean. Do you have faith? Can you say with Paul, I believe God. I trust God. God is with me. And if you know that, then you know you have a story to tell that is larger than the storm. 
And whoever's life, whoever God has placed in your path, tell them that Jesus Christ came to give life, to give it abundantly. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have been with us in this storm. We know what we've lost. Lord, we don't have a place. The normal place where we sit to worship is is not available. For some time, it won't be available. But Father, in two weeks, we'll walk into a new building. Because even though we didn't know this storm was coming, you knew this storm was coming. And you've already provided a place for your people. And so we are thankful to you, Lord. How could we not be grateful? Great God, mighty Savior, nothing is too hard for you. Help us, I pray, to trust in you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Give us patience to know that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, that we can rise up with wings as eagles and we can run and not be weary and we can walk and not faint. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.